it was very interesting going to Sax's kid's birthday party. Um, Freeberg and I were there for about two or three hours. Sax showed up for the last half hour. <laughs> I think guess. I was there for I, I think I was there for two hours and didn't see Sax, and then I saw him on my way out the door. But he had some YouTubers there who were pretty cool. Yeah, Papa Jake and Logan. Thank Papa you. Papa Jake was great. Yeah, you know they have seven million followers on YouTube. Eat your heart out, Jake Cal. <laughs> How many times bigger art is Papa Jake than you? Business and podcasting on YouTube is a new concept, uh, long form, and long form is not what the algorithm's designed for. It's obviously designed for short form and people getting to completion. So getting to completion on a 90 minute video. Are we talking hard. about lovemaking again? Sorry, oh what? Oh God, <laughs> Jesus. And when I say completion, I, it's not, I, there's, we need an HR department at all. In. Yeah, I prefer, I prefer the short form format for that too. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Here's your cold open, folks. <laughs> Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of the All In Podcast. It's episode 56. We've made it past 55. The show, the band is still together, coming to you every Friday night, far too late, because the Rain Man obsesses over every edit in the podcast. With us again, the All In Scorsese himself, David Rainman Sachs, and the Queen of Quinoa, the Sultan of Science, David Friedberg, is here. And with a power sweater that cost no, more. No, turtleneck, turtleneck, turtleneck. I'm sorry. A, a, a power turtleneck that cost more than your mortgage payment this month. The dictator himself, Chamath Polyhapatia. I'm Jay Cal. It was a pretty incredible week. I think we have to pander to the cryptocurrency crowd because that's just making ratings go through the roof here. I am absolutely inspired by what we saw this week with the Constitution Dow forming in about a week and going from one or two million to $46 million raised through a DAO. If you don't know what these decentralized autonomous organizations are, it's basically analogous to a, a corporate structure, but that's written in code. So you can get a group of people together, typically in a discord, then you create a smart contract, they collect in a wallet, a bunch of ETH, or it's typically ETH right now. And then you get some kind of governance written into the DAO, where people get voting power. They brought this together to bid on one of 13 copies of the original Constitution of the United States. And it was a very controversial moment last night, when 80% of the money was raised in the last 48 hours. And there was this crazy auction going back and forth with two representatives of Sotheby's on the phone, it hit $41 million. Everybody thought that the Dow had won, which would have mean would have meant that almost 20,000 people who participated in this would then vote on what to do with this $41 million offer. Coindesk incorrectly uh, reported that the Dow won. And then the Dow uh, announced that they had in fact not some other statistics, uh, their Twitter has 36,000 followers. The group reported they needed 14 million to participate, 30 million to be competitive, and 40 million to have a great chance of winning. They raised like, I think, six or seven million while they were on the air, you know, and the auction had started. And the only uh, downside to all of this is that there were huge gas fees. Uh, people were spending 30, 40, 50 bucks to donate 200, which was the average 
size of these. Yeah, they should have done it on Solana. All right, so here we go. Talking our own book again. Now we got somebody's going to clip this out. <laughs> it's a lot, it's a lot well, of pumping dub. Here we go. Shamath, what are you going to do with your copy of the Constitution? You know what's so funny? I, 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 when are you going to auction it back to the yeah, devil? When are you going to burn it and make an NFT out of it? So it's, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, I did buy something at these auctions. Uh, Yesterday's? Quite unique. Uh, I, will, I will not comment on what it was. But was it that turtleneck? No. But uh, Banksy, uh, oh, oh, Banksy, no, 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 I, I did, no, 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 no. But uh, I, I did. So, but I, I watched these auctions closely. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I was surprised that the U.S. Constitution for sold so little. You know, for a, a basically like the Magna Carta of the best startup that's ever been created. Well, but there's 13 of them, right? So on a market cap basis, on a market cap basis, you got to multiply by 13. Yeah, great. 13 times 40 it is still It wasn't one nothing. of the originals. It was the printing after the original was signed. We have a so, 20 tr- we've created a $22 trillion a year startup that keeps compounding by 4 to 5% a year. I would have thought these things would be worth, you know, a couple hundred million each. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of U.S. memorabilia, but yeah, I mean, but what I don't understand is- It means the U.S. So, Constitution, David, is not, as, is not worth as much as it used to be. That's well, the Well, you know, you got, other th- you got, you got the Declaration. Or the original, it would sell. Yeah. There's a lot of documents. You got the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> you got, you know, the Gettysburg Address. There's- Dime a dozen. The Tea Party memo. And I actually <laughs> yeah. think Citizens United, technically, guys, the Citizens United, if it was written not one time in one document- uh, by the Supreme Court, that would be worth much more than $40 million because it's basically invalidated most of the Constitution. Well, we here's it. one of the interesting things that happened here. Uh, no, David, David, wait, David, acknowledge that what I just said is true. No, I don't even understand what you just said. But I just okay. said if you had printed the Citizens United verdict from the Supreme Court on a piece of yeah, paper, that yeah, would yeah, be I worth more than $40 million. It was, it was like democracy 2.0 is what you're saying. I don't understand why people are getting so swept up in this thing is kind of my Me point. Me neither. Me neither. That's uh, the no, whole you, point. What you guys are missing is this is a, a, a critical moment in the history of cryptocurrencies because the first three major use cases of cryptocurrency were kind of, eh. you had money transfer, which it's not as good as paypal or venmo or many other solutions no out jason there. i think then what's you sad- had store of value hold on let me finish store of value which is like who cares there's plenty of ways to store of value and then nfts got interesting but these DAOs are absolutely game-changing the ability to have 47 million dollars show up and be prepared to be deployed in 48 hours is that's game-changing. not what he's saying ico you ever hear of an ICOs ICO were that- illegal and they've been banned and well, people are how, being how is DAO any different i mean the because DAOs have governance. DAOs have governance. And it's a programmable governance. It's a programmable a corporate entity. It is huge. If these, things, if these things transfer ownership interest, they will be regulated like securities. Of course so they in, are. That is this, a very this, important and, point. And in this particular model, the idea was it would all be kind of part of a nonprofit and it would not be kind of there owned were donations, by anyone. In fact, yes, but there, there were, donations. were donations. And so as soon as these DAOs, which they should, and it's an incredibly powerful tool, if it does actually become a security instrument, then it changes everything. And, yes, and uh, it and is going to be that. My and my it, whole thing is like it, it's it, one it thing be to that oh, outside the U.S. first, right? And then it'll be crypto ex-U.S. crypto investments that are going to drive this, and that's why the U.S. is going to be left behind. Here's what you're missing: these DAOs are pushing the envelope in the same way Airbnb and Uber did in terms of you know bending the rules about ride sharing or renting your extra room. These DAOs are kind of breaking securities laws they were telling people we're buying the constitution people who donated thought they were buying part of it we're not we're not missing the point (laughs) so okay but here's the thing if 
they bend the rules like this, what they showed to the SEC is that there is a huge appetite for people to quickly form groups of capital at low dollar amounts to do something important or interesting in the world. And Americans now have a taste of that. I They're going to continue to have a taste of it. And I think it's going to force the, the accreditation laws to change. I disagree. I think that what it showed is that this is yet another explanation of fractionalized ownership. That demand existed well before DAOs. Totally. It's, it exists today. It'll exist tomorrow. A, a DAO was just yet another on-ramp. But much like most fractional ownerships are terrible financial trades for crappy assets, so was this. So said differently, if you're going to spend the time to open uh, a Robinhood or E-Trade account, it still matters whether you buy a share of Lycos or a share of Google. Right. Okay. And so whether you do a DAO or whether you have an LLC, to me, it's irrelevant. The underlying asset didn't make any sense, had zero chance, in my opinion, of any meaningful appreciation. And so if you really want to make something work, and if you want to prove the DAO, then I would have hoped that they would have actually asked a few smart people, hey, guys, people who buy art, people who know crypto, what are some assets that I should own? Because if this okay, thing does fine. appreciate, you'll do more to prove the questions that well, you just asked. Well, somebody beat them Jason. out on the. So obviously, the value is greater than what the DAO thought it was. Jason, but you, you're the reason speaking why, like an accredited investor. This is non-accredited investors who are doing this. I know, and that that unsophistication was clear. The stupidest thing you can do if you enter an auction, okay, is to declare how you're going to be an underbidder. So, like, it's basically saying, "Hey, guys, you know, here's my top tick." And I'm willing to be, and I can, and so now you force these guys to be the underbidder at a dollar over their okay, best that's price. Fine. That, that's a mechanical issue. Sachs, what do you right. think? Well, I wonder if Where do the you reason, stand on this? I, I wonder if the reason why they chose this particular type of asset is because it's a collectible and therefore it's explicitly excluded from the securities laws. So basically, you know, maybe, maybe they're limited in terms of what they can go after because they don't want to be a security. But until, but, but, but if that's the case, then. It does limit, I think, the applicability of DAOs, right? Because what you want is is to create corporations that are programmable, that you can have shareholder yes. votes through the tokens, yes. things like that. It, you know, basically a digital version of what they do analog in the real world with you know share certificates, um, shareholder meetings, and stuff like that that nobody ever attends. Yeah, that nobody nobody ever attends these shareholder meetings, and you know, I get these notices of votes that are to be held nobody ever fills yeah no one fills that stuff out well, and people have super share super voting and so you feel like you have no say but in this case you do have a say Depends and they're going to the do Jake assets out. like imagine somebody had ten thousand acres of rainforest or a national potential national park and all of a sudden you pop up a dow and if the sec says you know what five hundred dollars or less you can bet your money however you want hold on let me finish and they take that $500 and you get a million people to put $500 in, which is completely conceivable. Somebody could buy $500 million worth of national forest and say, I'm going to make this into a public trust to protect the environment. This is a, on that, the brink of changing the that world. That was ICOs. You could yes, have done the exact same thing before. but ICOs had no governance. They had no governance. Okay, that was missing. What, it was what for the saying? benefit. Hold on. ICOs were for the benefit of the scumbags who did those grifts and ran away with the money. This is an organization with a predetermined governance structure. This is like creating a new country or a new format for an LLC. That's what you're missing. Okay, are you done? Yes. What you're missing, you're painting the optimistic scenario of what these yes. things could do. And you are correct. Yes. But what's always happened in the history of humanity is these scenarios 
have resolved to people figuring out ways to scam other people to make money. Sure, sure. And while this one looks altruistic, just like Theranos, and it's all, just Jake, like you Nicola. gotta let me finish without interrupting. Yeah. Thank you. But just like you know, this looks like a great altruistic action. We're going to go out and buy the USS Constitution. U.S. Constitution. The next deal will end up being some shitty art piece that's worth a hundred grand. As Chamath points out, they'll buy it for ten million. And everyone will lose their ass. And the next 500 will look the same. And that's why we have securities regulators and securities laws. Because in the past, when these sorts of structures that weren't digitally governed and all this sort of stuff, and people would go around and they would put together pools of money from other people and promise them the world. And then they would turn around and steal their money and walk away. We created securities regulators that could oversee and not have independent governance, but have distributed governance across a regulatory system to make sure that this doesn't happen. And that's the slippery slope of where this goes. I'll say one more thing about the structure of this particular DAO, which I know can be resolved, but it creates a problem in that everyone is betting or investing a fixed dollar amount without knowing how much equity they're getting. And so when you say, hey, I'm going to put in $500 and there's currently $10 million or let's say there's $10,000 in this thing, it's like, hey, okay, I've got 5% ownership in this thing. If the next guy shows up and puts in $10,000, you now have 2.5% ownership in this thing, and you've inflated the value of the thing you're buying. And that's effectively what happened in the structure of this particular DAO, where the more money people put in, the more they were paying and the less they were owning, and you couldn't adjust that. The correct structure in the future for people that do care about equity and ownership will be, I want to buy 1%, and I'm willing to pay a max of $500 to buy that 1%. And with that rule engine, which I know can be built into DAOs, People can then structure what they're willing to bid and how much they're willing to participate in. And the DAO as a whole can resolve what it's willing to pay to go buy an asset. And everyone can feel like they know what they're getting as they get into these things. And then the third problem with this particular DAO, as we saw, and I know it's kind of the first big one like this, was the obvious point that these guys were showing the world how much they were about to go bid on this asset. And if you take $46 million and you divide it by 1.13, or which is, you know, remember, there's a 13% buyer's premium on this asset. They showed everyone what they're going to pay. And of course, they lost at a dollar over. They, the, were, the un- they were the underbidder. I'll say yeah. something else. The only fractionalized asset that has ever been proven to appreciate reliably are stocks. Every other fractionalized asset where you take something and then you divvy it up generally has been a trash burger. You need to either own the whole thing yourself or if you're going to own it with a bunch of other people, the only thing that's reliable are equities. Now, that's just a historical artifact for how money has been made. So I appreciate, Jason, what you're saying, which is I think actually you care about the structure because I think it has huge implications to people pursuing wealth creation for themselves, for people participating in private markets. But I do think that you're overblowing this one example because I don't think this showed any of that. I think that this showed how unreliable and and useless ethereum is as a transactional layer for these things you know the fact that these poor people now have money stuck in a dow that they can't get out of because it would the gas fees would negate their contribution so that didn't it these didn't are prove all that. the bumps in the road one second please you gotta hold on it didn't prove governance because as david said we had this inflationary outcome where all of a sudden i didn't know the equity that i owned the transparency worked against them because you're bidding on an asset where you were clear about the threshold max price you could pay. So you had no pricing power and you had no uh, opacity in, in your bidding strategy. So so I, I think that this was a PR lark. And in fact, they said it started out as a joke and it took on a head of steam. And so I think they felt like they had to execute. What I would say is there are going to be some really amazing examples of DAOs 
This proved none of those things that the, that the amazing ones will prove, in my opinion. And this will invite regulatory scrutiny faster than it will keep it away, right? You will see, you know, more of these scenarios where people get screwed out of money like they did in this particular case. And I know a lot of everyone that participated in this DAO, I know that there's altruistic reasons. Who do they sue? Complain. Who do they sue? The exactly. people, who do they sue? Who do they go after now that they lost the $200 that they contributed? Yeah, there, I mean, there's, there's, there's no structure. And I think that's part of the regulatory, you know, how, how um, do they get the money invitation. back? I can respond. Who's the person that decides? Who's the person that, like, you know what? Honestly, if that DAO, had had, show, show. if that DAO had called me, I could have actually bid for them and actually won that fucking thing for half the price. You know what I mean? Sachs, like, you got anything? You want to chime in? No. Okay. I mean, well, I don't know. I would I like mean, to look, give a closing argument. Yeah, why don't you go for it, Jacob? All right. Number one, you're all speaking like a bunch of rich accredited investors. Uh, we need to think about people who do not uh, get to participate. And what I see in my day job is people go to an equity crowdfunding site. It's too arduous to allow non-accredited investors to invest. It takes months and it's tons of paperwork. So then what happens is the best deal flow, which goes to the people who are on this podcast who are already rich, we get to sweep up all the best deals because people who are founders and who have opportunities in corporations do not bother doing equity crowdfunding because the SEC, in their wisdom to try to protect people, and they have good intent, to your point, Friedberg, has made it so arduous and painful for people that they then don't do it, the founders I'm talking about. This then keeps people down, and when we were all poor, we got to spend our money gambling or doing whatever we want with it, but we all would have wanted to have, when we were non-accredited, the ability to place a bet on a startup. And y'all are forgetting that, and what's going to so happen here, all of what you're saying, from. all of what you're saying, Chamath, in terms of the problems <laughs> here are absolutely accurate and valid. And those are what you need. You need to identify through projects like this, the gas fees are a problem. So people can move this to Solana. You need to find out that they don't know how to do bidding. And maybe they shouldn't say how much has been raised so that they can come in and bid more intelligently. And maybe they do need to pick a better target. But this is $200 per person. There, you guys are acting like these people are going to lose we're, their we're shirts. Not. We agree with you. I agree with you. I don't I think agree. you agree with me. I agree a thousand percent. I'm a free markets guy. I would love for there to be no regulation and everyone will come in. And the problem is society won't let that happen. And that's the point I'm trying to make. It's other not societies me have other societies. No, do let that. If, you're in UK, if you're in the UK, if you're in Australia, you can go gamble and you can go bet on startups. There are different accreditation laws. We have antiquated ones that the United need to States, evolve. The United States regulatory regime will be invoked because people will lose money and individuals will raise their hand and say, I put money into a DAO that I lost my ass on and enough thousands of people do that. And then Elizabeth Warren and AOC will get on their, you know, their high horse and they'll say, let's, let's fix this problem. Bernie Sanders will say, this is unfair. The billionaires are taking the money from people. And so I agree with you. We should let people take risks. We should let people lose money. We should drop all the regulatory burden. My point is really that I think structurally what's going to happen is there are going to be more of these okay. things that are going to show up that will rip people off and that will heighten regulatory interest and people will come along and they'll start to clamp down on this stuff. And that's that's my point. Okay. I also think this example has nothing to do with what you're talking about. I think what you're talking about, Cal, is laudable. And we should all want that because I think that the broader number of people that get to participate in the wealth creation in tech, the better. But there are different ways of doing that. I don't think we have to run full force and embrace the DAO as the only way that that happens. And I think that structurally, the, the, demo the democratic norms inside of a DAO in many ways make it much harder to govern inside a regulatory framework. And it does set up 
a very binary decision by the SEC and US regulators, which unfortunately, they're not going to go and be supportive of because the binary decision to support them would effectively negate their oversight. That's right. Yeah, they got jobs to keep too. <laughs> they have jobs to keep and I mean, mortgages I, to I pay. I think it's a cynical and accurate prediction that they will fight it. But what you may not be aware of is that there is in the Startup Act from years ago, they did allow equity crowdfunding, they put a lot of throttling on it. And now they're going to let you get accredited through taking a course, or like kind of having a driver's license or a gun permit. So it is conceivable that the next time a DAO happens, and they're trying to buy can you, but can asset. you stop conflating these things together? You well, can no, it, we've had iterations in the crowdfunding rules, you're just trying to tag this with a DAO. Can, can yeah, you just separate this, it? Can, wait, hold on a second. Can I just ask you a question? Can you please just describe and acknowledge that the crowdfunding rules have iteratively evolved in yes, the that, absence I'm, of DAOs? Yes. yes. Okay, so just separate the two. They're not the same thing. They are two sides of the same coin because no, the not. DAOs allow a global participation in this and the capital can be formed instantly. This was done in days. That's what's so powerful about it. It, it costs tens of thousands to hundreds Jason, of thousands of dollars to do an equity crowdfunding. This costs nothing. Because it was for a an, an ethereal, superficial asset with a name that people recognized. Let me hold on a second. Now let me replace the US Constitution with, I don't know, Jason, you just sent a deal a day ago. What was the name of it? Let's just call it acme.com. Sure. Now what are people supposed to do? It's not a known asset. They are not known founders. There may be turbulent issues inside the company that are still being hammered out. What are these people supposed to do? How are they Play, intelligent? Place a small bet. Place a small bet. Do some research. Vote on it. Do collective research in a Discord. You're looking, you have a bunch of researchers working for you. You defended the no, GME. You have a team. Your team does research and they're smart people and they get paid very well. You were praising the coverage that Wall Street Bets did on GME on this podcast. 40 episodes ago, you were saying how it incredible, was incredible their research was because they were analyzing public companies who are sure. governed by securities law. They can't do they, that with a private on. company. Yes, because there are no rules that govern disclosure. GameStop had very strict disclosure rules because they were public. That was what allowed Wall Street bets to understand what was going on under the hood of GameStop. It was the disclosure of the funds that the SECs force you to make that allowed people to understand the long and the short book that was building against it. If if that was in the private markets, that data is not obligated to be provided in the in the wild, Wall Street bets would have had no idea. So um, I, I think you're actually proving the opposite of what you intend, which is it's the regulatory framework that allowed the retail GME position to happen. Go ahead, David. And then... Uh yeah, can I translate what Jake Hall is saying? I think what Jake Hall is saying is that we need to create some space here for innovation so that entrepreneurs can work out the kinks of these DAOs so that one day Jake Hall can run a syndicate on a blockchain and fundraise that way. Isn't that what you're saying, Jake Hall? Or anybody. I mean, here's what <laughs> I'll say. You know, when we do a syndicate amongst accredited I mean, you're investors. You're talking your book here in a weird way. No, no, no. But, but I, 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 I didn't mention the syndicate. I didn't mention the syndicate.com once, except for this ICOs time. You saw ICOs as competitors to, to your syndicates, but now you're all on the Dow train. ICOs, I, um, I thought were too big. So I think you could solve this problem by looking at the bet size that people are allowed to make. So you can just say, hey, the upper limit is 5K. So now you've basically taken the individual Why? cratering. Well, because if you wanted to create a so regulatory random. environment, well, because it, it would no, get I rid of the risk. Sense. You create yeah. a de minimis exception. So Honestly, that, guys, so that 
the that first, could be 100% the first of someone's principle. net worth and 1% of another's. Okay, so make it a percent of net worth. No, the first thing, principle of portfolio construction is you need to be concentrated in the things you know, and you need to stay away from the things you don't. If you cap the upside on the amount you can invest, what are people supposed to do? Peanut butter around 50 bets? And do you know what will happen, Jason? Most of those will be losers because the mortality rate in startups is super high. And they'll end up with basically nothing. How do they do in Vegas? How do they do betting sports? We're not sports? about how to invest. I mean, I think what we're saying is that, is that, I mean, this is where I actually agree, is that the regulators should carve out enough room so that innovation can continue around this concept of DAOs because who knows what they could become one day. And yes. we, shouldn't, we shouldn't kill this thing Hold in on. the we, 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 we haven't killed anything because nothing exists and there are no rules about DAOs. The, the regulators haven't said anything. I think we all agree that crowdfunding rules should get much more expensive. That makes sense. And yeah. with that, pi- private companies should disclose more. That makes sense, right? We all agree with that so that you can have more disclosure and public available data. So Jason, to your point, communities can get into a discord. Like today, if you said, hey, guys, let's go and analyze a late stage investment in Stripe. What do you do? Blather on about it and just talk at each in other? The there are no stage, decks. There are no the disclosures. Could, no, but hold on. Answer down. this question. So now, yeah. so now are, you supposed to, are you supposed to enter... Carta or some other third party platform and buy it at 120 billion. How do no. you underwrite that? Very simple. Very simple. In the startup DAO concept we're talking about here, you would do exactly what angel investors do, which is say, hey, okay, we had, let's say this constitution DAO was to invest in startups. Okay, 20,000 people put 200 in each. We have a $40 million pool. Okay, we're all going to submit ideas. And then we're going to ask and invite those founders to come pitch the DAO on a Zoom and we'll all vote on which ones we like best. And instead of, you know, a venture capital firm getting access to this, now those 20,000 people could say, you know what, we're going to make 20 uh, half million dollar bets, and then we're going to pour the 30 million into the winners of that. And that is just what I do for a living or any other angel investor or early stage investor does you invite founders to come and pitch you and you place an intelligent bet, just like people bet on the Knicks or sadly on the jets and lose their money all the time. And uh, it, I like David's idea of saying, hey, maybe for the next two years, we'll have a Dow exception where you can raise, you know, from a 1000 up to 5000 people up to $10 million. And you just have to file that you're not a felon. And we have some basic framework to experiment with this because you could buy, you know, a building that was going to be torn down, like some movie theater for a community. Uh, you could do nonprofit stuff. There's all kinds of beautiful things you could do with this instant capital formation and government structure that is programmable. Okay, and well, it look, does relate to capital formation in the startup ecosystem. Here's what I'll say. Um, you made a great point about Uber and Lyft pushing the boundaries and forcing the regulators to react. Yes. You know why that happened? It's because Uber and Lyft worked. Yes. And it was successful. And this thing was not successful. And so maybe if it is, there's an on-ramp. But I would say that the energy is better served in not focusing on a PR lark and probably just focusing on trying to improve the crowdfunding laws writ large, which are already on the books and can be iterated upon versus an entire new body of regulation where nobody even has any idea what a starting point should be. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be very hard to get, get those crowdfunding laws expanded with the, under the current regime. It's sort of a minor miracle that they even got what they got several years ago, right? Wasn't that? When well, that it happened the, under Obama when the after the Act, 2008, right? yes, the Jobs Act, because in 2008, when the market crashed, we said, nobody's starting companies. We're screwed here. We need to get the economy going again. So we're just going to allow more capital formation. And so the 99 rule for LLCs went to 250. 
And they just kind of loosen things a little bit. And now they're the mandate is the SEC has to have a certification test for people to do private market investing. And also people who work at VC firms, right? We have people who work for us who are not accredited. They don't get to participate, but they get an exception if they work at a venture firm, et cetera. So it's just going to all- It's probably simultaneously true that this thing was massively overhyped um, while also being the case that it's a worthwhile experiment that may lead to you know, useful innovation in the future. What, what I always look at when I see new technologies doing something is I just imagine if it 10x'd and what that would look like and if it worked. And then I just 10x it one more time. So what we're going to see, I predict, is this $40 million Dow will turn into a $400 million one in the next two years and then a $4 billion one in the next 10. And people are going to do something extraordinary. They're going to do something so otherworldly changing. What if a million people or 10 million people around the globe decided they were going to put money in to do a solar farm or something that would help society? You can already it, do that, J.Cal. I mean, that's like like you, a, a manager. Not can, frictionless. Someone's got to manage it. Jake yeah. fantasizing about how big a syndicate's going to be. Yeah. My syndicate is too large right now. I can't accommodate everybody. So, and it's also because it's okay. of the laws. It could get bigger, you could, right? Well, no. The problem yeah. is you can only have 250 people in yeah. it. That's the problem. We beat yeah. this down to death, Yeah, guys. come on. Yeah. We beat it to death. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I'm obsessed with it. Clearly. Fentanyl deaths in the U.S. are reaching a crisis point. Up Fentanyl deaths? Is that really what we're talking about? I mean, we talked about it in the chat. Are you I mean, deliberately this is trying to like avoid the biggest news today of the the biggest trial? No, no, that was just, just, a, that was just a, I get it. We're gonna, that's just a weird transition. I'm just going okay. straight like, down like. through the docket. But if you want to jump the fence, okay. Well, I'm Kyle not Rittenhouse trying to, was found not guilty of it all happened charges. Like it happened within half an hour of us beginning to record right, this well, podcast. I don't know how I'm it's trying not to keep the Friedberg ratio up. We had a nice, strong, emotional moment from Friedberg. He obviously is going to have something to say about fentanyl and science. But okay, he's going to walk off the show now to talk. When you start talking politics, I'm not going to walk off the show. You did last week. You walked off. You walked when? off and went. You got a beverage. You left for like five I had minutes. To go, I had to go pee. All right, fine. I mean, come Just on. Just to be during politics. Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse I'll was go, found well, not guilty. That's usually when I take my break, yeah. Exactly. And, okay, and a third of the audience. Kyle Rittenhouse found <laughs> not guilty of all charges. A 12-person jury in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial reached the decision uh, after over 26 hours of deliberation. He shot three people. Uh, he killed two of them, and he was found not guilty. He was 17 at the time of the shooting. He was charged with killing the two men and a third uh, during the protests in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, in August of 2020. This was during the protests uh, over the police shooting of Jacob Blake. He claims he traveled from Illinois with an AR-15-style rifle to help protect no, businesses and that's provide incorrect. first aid. He he didn't. He did not cross state line. He did not cross state lines with the rifle. That's one of the many inaccuracies have been reported by the media over and over again because his dad lived there i guess he was in his dad lived in kenosha i think he went to school in kenosha he worked in kenosha you gotta understand like this is there are a few minutes apart where from his mother's house okay, and, fine, the yeah. and he never he never carried the gun across state lines the gun was bought for him by a friend who was 18 who could possess it and it was kept at his house which is in kenosha got it he was apparently in kenosha earlier that day um and, you know, cleaning up graffiti at the school and checking out the downtown. And then, you know, obviously when he went out that night, then he got the gun, but he didn't transport it across state lines. So that w that's, I think, one of the multiple what do you think inaccuracies. Is your, what is your most important insight into this case and what it represents for American society and uh, the justice system, Sachs? 
Well, I think the, the case has become a little bit of a Rorschach test of how you see America. I mean, there's clearly a, a, a group of people in the, I'd say, the ma- dominating the mainstream media, and now it's percolated down to celebrities and figures from LeBron James to, to, um, I'm, I'm spacing, but there's a lot of like celebrities who've, who've come out putting forward this view that America, that this trial somehow is, um, that, that, that Cal Rittenhouse, a white supremacist, and that, this not guilty verdict is an example of white supremacy in America. Somehow that became the narrative. And um, so that I think it's become, I, I think there's like a couple of levels to it. One is the trial itself and what you think about the legal case. I don't think that is that complicated or interesting. You have here that the state was required to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Rittenhouse did not act reasonably in self-defense when three violent attackers came charging towards him. That was, I think, a pretty tough case to make. Given one of them had a gun pull, too. I mean, this was right, and so know. all of them had long criminal histories. The first one who t- attacked him was daring him to told, said that he was going to kill Rittenhouse. The second one was bashing him over the head with a skateboard. The third one was rushing towards him when Rittenhouse was on the ground, had a gun trained on him, looked like he was going to bring it to his head, kind of execution style. I mean, all these, I think, cases. If you saw the video from, I mean, from the first time it seemed pretty clear that he had a strong claim of self-defense. So I don't think the case itself was that legally interesting. The question is why it got blown up into being this like huge thing. And it's really because the media wanted this so badly to be, to feed into this narrative of somehow that this is, you know, a white supremacist, violent attacker who was a vigilante who crossed state lines with this AR-15 to go seek out trouble um, to confront people at the protest. And, you know, that case, that, that narrative just completely fell apart at the trial. You know, it, it's, he didn't cross state lines for the, you know, in that way. He didn't, you know, w- with the gun. When he went to this protest, he went there. It's interesting. I mean, he was a cadet, an EMT cadet. He was kind of in this like junior firefighter program. I'm not saying that he showed good judgment. I think it was poor judgment for him to, trying to insert himself into that situation. But I don't think he went there to kill anyone or to get into a confrontation. He brought a first aid kit for, you know, for better or worse, he thought he was going to help people. And so any event, the, the, the story really is about the media constructing this narrative that fell apart so quickly as soon as all the facts came out. Freeberg, Jamal? Yeah, I think the, I read that there was, um, an analysis of the media and how they tried to portray this. And that I think I'll build on what David said, which is, was really concerning. Like the, there was, they really wanted this to be a white kid who killed black people during a BLM protest, which was, as it turned out, the furthest from the truth. I'll just tell you my experience. When I first saw it, that's what I thought I had read. And I'll be really honest with you. Initially, I was incredibly biased and my I had a violent reaction inside me of anger towards this kid because my thought was, my God, this white kid showed up at a Black Lives Matter rally and killed, you know, three of, of, of my brothers. You know, like literally, that's how I'm feeling. I was so angry because they didn't really give the facts. There was an example where in Germany, It got so out of hand that the articles were written that Kyle Rittenhouse had actually killed three black men or two black men. And and 
And I think that that's very dangerous because we need to have the truth and the facts so we can really figure out what's going on so that we can address what's broken, we can hold people accountable, and then we can move forward together and heal it. But this like is the opposite of healing. It just froths people up to make a lot of judgments with misinformation. And I think that that's very unfair. I didn't, to be honest with you, after I saw the facts, I stopped paying attention to this case because I literally exhaled. I would have been much more hurt and I would have probably paid more attention if this wasn't white on white violence, quite honestly. Right, right. And, and I think people, I think we've heard from a lot of people over when Rittenhouse's testimony kind of went viral and started getting reported on, there were a lot of people out there who were surprised to learn that all the victims were white, that this was an example of white on white violence because it had been portrayed by the media as some sort of racial episode. And, um, and it wasn't. And it, it shows how the media is fueling this polarization and rage in our society by concocting these narratives, which aren't true. It's really that that I think is the dangerous thing. I don't I didn't follow the case to know whether this kid was right or wrong. But I do think if the media uses these opportunities to not just tell the facts, and then race baits people on both of the left and the right and gets them frothed up, they're doing a real disservice to America, because I think it takes good people. And it puts them in a state like me for a while at the beginning where I'm, I was really angry and I didn't know how I felt. And that's, and I'm a lucid person, you know, 99.999% of the time. Thoughtful, so, yeah. And so it just goes to show you how dangerous this stuff is when they can take a narrative and run with it. And then there's no accountability for it. Um, and we really have to stop and, and check ourselves. It just speaks to this ongoing fact pattern where the media is at, is at a point where they are at a, very much a low point in their trustworthiness, their ability to fact check, their ability to stick to the truth. Um, I think it's been undone. Just this past week, you know, I think Elon even tweeted out like, you know, he in exasperation, he said, where can I find like thoughtful news, right? He was asking yeah. Twitter, like, what, what websites and, and the, the, the question wasn't that bad. But if you read the answers, it was really sad. Nobody had a good answer. You know, one person was like, oh, there's a browser extension that will show you how, you know, how much lying is happening inside the article. And I thought to myself, my God, like there are browser extensions, like a lieometer, you know, like this is insanity that, that in 2021, that's what we are faced with, which is very smart people, all of us, everybody listening, normal people just, you know, out on the street. We can all come to the right conclusion when given the facts and we're not given the facts anymore. Jake, how do you think we're missing something here? Because um, you, you, I know you, you thought that this whole uh, Rittenhouse thing was crazy, right? Which it was, but well, are we missing something I mean, in your view? I think, uh, first off, violent protests and violence is immoral and all of these protests whether it's blm on the left on the right they should all be non-violent there's a reason why martin luther king and gandhi you know said that's the rules if you want to come to the protest you have to be non-violent and then i think the rhetoric that was created during the trump era um, and that he exacerbated and that he caused uh from a lot of his policies and the way he spoke as the leader of the free world and our country then polarized things i blame him for a lot of that and if you put a bunch of people who are on the far extremes into a situation like this, 
Uh, and then you insert guns and you insert young people who have not developed their frontal lobes, who do not have long term thinking, which a 17 year old does not your long term and Freeberg will back me up on this in terms of science. Long term thinking is something that develops in humans into their early 20s. And so young people with guns in a violent situation with Trump on TV during this time, both good people on both sides, whatever, you know, the borders, all that stuff that he was stirring the pot on, all of that eventually resolves to somebody's going to get killed, whether it's on January 6 or it's a BLM protest. And that is why he had such a failure of leadership, why he was so disgusting and horrible and loathsome, because he was taking all of this heat and rhetoric up, up, up. And the person who winds up suffering in this are these stupid kids and their really dumb parents and mother who allow them to go to a protest and she could have stopped them with a gun. Somebody needs to stop these kids from going to a protest with a gun. And I think there's a very difficult question here that can be asked. And it, it probably is true, I think, that it was an open and shut case, David, that, I mean, I saw the video as well, Chamath. The, the guy puts a gun on him. What are you going to do? You've got a gun. This guy's pointing a gun at you. Whoever fires first survives. It is self-defense. And that's kind of undeniable, I, I think. But if I would, had been, I would hope it, that the number of people that really focus on this case, look at the innumerable number of cases of black and brown people that have been killed. The Ahmaud Arbery trial is going on right now. Yes. I'm sorry, but I've seen one article in Ahmaud Arbery for every 50 about Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah. I just really hope Ahmaud Arbery gets his fair trial. And, and that Taylor, was a straight up lynching. I'm sorry, and let me yeah. say again, Breonna Taylor, not a single thing has still been done. Okay. So- I'm not that sympathetic to all of this talk right now yeah. because there are a lot of black and brown men and women who have been killed in this country yes. where none of you guys care as much. Oh, I care. And that was exactly where I was about to get to. The question I was about to ask you, Chamal, is if Kyle Rittenhouse had been a black man and he had shot those three people, what would the outcome of this trial have been? Would it have been the same justice system? And I, I don't think that anybody can answer that question and say it would have been fair justice. I don't think it would have been. I think the chance would be very low. It, it makes me. It makes in this me, situation would have been treated just, the same. Just you saying it makes me want to cry. Okay, it would not have. Well, been I didn't same. say it for that reason, but I, it is the truth, and I, I think that's what you know. We in this country, race is something that is our biggest weak point, and we need to get well. I mean, uh, leadership creating, to work on this. You're creating a hypothetical injustice. We don't know because that's a hypothetical that we can't know the well, answer to right now. And you're ignoring the justice, the injustice that's right in front of your face, which is that this was a political prosecution from the beginning, fueled by a media narrative that was completely bogus. This is why I think David is right, and we have to go to this root cause issue that we can all fix. Yeah, you know, we can't, we we shouldn't debate these hypotheticals because they're hurtful. Like even now, like you see me, I'm emotional. I can't. Yeah. Think straight. So let's get the hypothetical off the table because David, you're right. It's a hypothetical. I mean, this case probably should never, this case should never have been brought. I mean, as soon as you see the video, if you look up the definition of self-defense, okay, you, you just have to have a reasonable belief that your life is in danger and then you're allowed to use force. And, you know, Rittenhouse was running away. These guys were attacking him. They were chasing after him. They had a gun trained on him. They were bashing him on the head with a skateboard. I don't know how any prosecutor looks at this and says, we need to prosecute this. So the case should never have been brought. And then the media fuels this thing. No, but this is but what I'm saying. That's the thing that we can all change, which is our reaction to that media portrayal. The media can be held accountable for how they lied. But how? Well, people we, are, we don't trust vote. them and they're tuning exactly. them out and they're going and finding their own answers. But I mean, this I mean, has been my point. Like, I think we all get tuned up to what the media quote unquote is and isn't saying. I think that's like yesteryear's news. I mean, those those guys have lost credibility. You can see it in all the peer research and all the Gallup research. 
that um, what used to be called, and it's still by a lot of people called the mainstream media, is no longer mainstream and it's become kind of outskirt and where people are finding their, um, their sources of information is direct from the source, from people that they know to be reliable, trustworthy speakers of the truth and speakers of facts. And they're getting them direct through social media platforms and other systems of self-publication. And that the idea of having centralized media systems that get to have their own editorial and narrative over whatever facts, quote, they may be kind of gathering and presenting to us. That's an old school way of doing things. And I don't think we have to worry about it too much anymore. Whether or not individuals will resolve to truth seeking or emotion seeking is the big question for the 21st century. Because as we've seen, the media that the, the things that we do click on are the things that we already believe and that confirm our bias and that create an emotional incentive versus the things that may be not what we believe and not what we want to hear, but may actually be factual. And that's the big kind of challenging question here. I think it's less about these evil media people and it's more about where are individuals going to make choices? Yeah, I mean, I'd say alternative media voices... Are, have never been more important. And, you know, you can get a lot of them on Substack, people like Len Greenwald, Matt Taibbi, Antonio Garcia Martinez. Call um, in the call in app. They're, they're oh, all God, three of those have to be on call in. Uh, but other people, <laughs> Andrew Sullivan, Barry Weiss. I mean, they all our have very, podcast. They our all, podcast. Yeah, they all have very good coverage of this. By the way, I couldn't help notice that the same week that this Rittenhouse narrative collapsed, the whole Steele dossier narrative collapsed. Okay. You had, and I don't want to get too political and drag it back to the Trump thing, but you had, you know, John Durham, who's a special prosecutor, unraveling this whole phony fake steel dossier with multiple indictments. And you now have retractions by the Washington Post and other major publications. And that whole narrative that fueled like an entire year of media coverage is completely collapsing. And it's just another example of, you know, the media running with these narratives that turn out to be completely I hate to use the word fake, but I mean, it is. I mean, it's things it's in the dossier were fake, but Paul Manafort's conviction Again, was I, not. <laughs> I, I, I would encourage everyone to stop using the term the media or even the term mainstream media and just recognize that there are specific outlets that are on their way down. Content companies. Are dying. Yeah, these are content companies. Need, they're content that, companies that, that need they ratings. Used, they, they used to be the monopoly and they're no longer. And, you know, they're like yesteryear's news. And it's just, um, you know, it's like complaining about you know, whatever, pick any industry that's been disrupted, but they are and will be further disrupted by kind of direct to source fact gathering. The big ultimate question is what are consumers going to choose? Um, and that's the thing that scares me the most, to be honest. I, I think the interesting it can, thing- it can go either way. You can either find better truth seeking or you can find better emotion, more emotion seeking. And that that's going to cause and, and, more and, polarization and, and more yes. ugly shit. Well, look, it's, it's happening right now. You're right that the, the, let's call it the corporate media, the big media corporations, their prestige and esteem and the eyes of the American people have no, and their credibility gone. has never gone. been lower. It's gone. gone. New York Times okay. and CNN. Absolutely. Are I mean, just gone. gone. And, and people should be questioning them and stop listening to them. And you have to diversify your information diet and you got to be subscribed to some alternative journalists on places like Substack. But here's the thing that concerns me. You know, you've got the media narrative being dictated by MSNBC, and then it trickles down to LeBron James and Chelsea Handler. Sorry, that was the name that I forgot earlier. Who were, They were perpetuating this white supremacist narrative around Kyle Rittenhouse. By the way, there was they looked at his phone, his text messages, everything. There is no connection. There's no proof whatsoever of a connection between him and white supremacy. It was completely made up by the media. And yet these major figures in our culture who have this outsized impact were tweeting about this. And so the problem is, you know, like people like us diversify our information diet, but there are large parts of the country that are just receiving this information 
And it gets basically passed down from the media to Hollywood to the culture. Yeah. And it's from, Tucker, it is, from Tucker Carlson to Scott Bayo to the pillow guy. It is yeah, fueling tre- it is fueling tremendous divisiveness and polarization in our yeah. culture. And I would say that, you know, Jason brought up Trump and he was a polarizing figure, but I don't think he's the root cause of this polarization. I think he is a reaction to it. I think he is a manifestation of it. He's a manifestation of it. And ultimately the root cause is the complete deterioration and collapse of journalistic standards in the media, in the major mainstream uh, corporate media. I'll disagree no, with I you. Think, on I that. think Trump's and responsible I'll, for his I've own behavior. This, and I've made this point in the past, which is, Sachs, I, I don't know if it, you, you make it sound and other people make it sound like in a directed editorial initiative to take things in a direction. And I think that the reaction process is really about what do consumers want to consume? What they choose to consume is what they sell more of and what they produce more of. And yes. that's the cycle that's driving this. And, you know, that doesn't mean that these folks are not complicit or not making good kind of ethical decisions. That could actually be argued either way. But at the end of the day, they're businesses that are selling content. And if consumers want content of one form, they're going to choose that form. Okay, look, I, th- I think you have a point that once a publication goes in a certain direction and starts getting subscribers, there's some positive reinforcement there that has them keep pushing in that direction. That yes. being said, I don't think this is commercial in nature, primarily. I think what's going on is fundamentally ideological. You saw for example, the New York Times, they ran out Barry Weiss. I've seen They've it. Run I've out seen multiple it. No, no, you're wrong there on this. They, they did this because they wanted subscriptions. The no, no, you're wrong, Sachs. When the New York Times did this, they realized Fox picked a side, MSNBC picked a side, and they, they benefited from that by picking a side in the Trump era. So the New York Times picked a side. They went MSNBC side, and they got rid of the right because the right people drove away the anti-Trump subscription. So I think Freeberg's right on this one. I will say another thing to build on what you were saying before, Sachs, about the media's responsibility here. We also have to think about the the cable news media's responsibility when they put these protests on wall to wall and they send people there, that then inspires people to go there. And you know, when you do this wall to wall coverage across five networks and you obsess over something, people are going to obsess over it. And they see people out there riding and people model other people's behavior. And I think they need to think like, how much coverage do we exactly have to give? Right. You know, well, this even, now, even now, they're bringing out the National Guard in anticipation of possibly riots and protests in reaction. Which then could to, induce it. Well, in reaction. No, I don't know if it's going to induce it. But but, the, but the, in, in reaction to this verdict in the Rittenhouse trial, they're bringing out the troops to basically quell any, you know, riot before it gets started. But why would that riot even happen? Because the people have been fed this narrative that is completely bogus. And in that sense, the media has been incredibly irresponsible and they're playing with fire. They really are. I, I'll say it again. And we've fallen into this same trap. Look how much time we've just spent talking about Kyle Rittenhouse. I mentioned the Maude Arbery and we've just glossed over it. Is his trial being... It's happening right no, no, now. but is it on video? Because that is another major issue here is when the trials are on video. These trials, should, they should never do TV again on these trials. Just never again. It, I mean, it, it really does reporters create, in the courtroom, but do not put it on TV. Like Veranos is not allowing uh, video in the courtroom and it's not getting covered to this extent. And I think the video Smart. in the courtroom does drive this. It makes it a circus. Breaking news. Citadel CEO Ken Griffin outbid a group of crypto investors for a copy of the u.s constitution according to the wall street journal saying oh my god we knew somebody was was trolling the crypto before this but now oh my god exactly i mean he was the central villain basically in that whole robin hood fiasco for payment for order flow and now he outbid 
the crypto crowd, he is going to be enemy number one. Basically, there is no more sophisticated market participant than Ken Griffin. <laughs> and on a silver platter, this group of people, unfortunately, Told them showed, showed them their strategy and showed them exactly how to become he the underbidder. Right. You know, you know he what, did you the know price what? is right. He put $1 on top of their bid. You know what Ken Griffin knows? Ken Griffin knows that now this is an object of interest that people are basically willing to pay anything for. Bingo. He's going to buy it now. And in one year, he'll sell Flip. it for twice as much. It's a valuable asset. But by the way, I want to make a point on this. I disagree, by the way. He's a a buyer. He is not a seller. He's going to hold. Okay. But look, markets don't work with this much transparency. Markets only work when people have different information than other people that are participating in the market. No, 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 no. If everyone knew everything that everyone else was going to do. Same data, but if everyone knew what everyone else. Different opinions. But if everyone knew everyone else's opinion on what something is worth, the market doesn't work. And that's the problem that happened here. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So here's what I value an asset at. And now if you know that, you know how to play against me in the market. And I Com- will point that's out- That's what I said. Yeah, exactly. And one thing, one thing I'll take note of that, that, I, that I kind of realized yesterday when I was thinking about this, which is this like transparency in markets leads to this inflationary problem. Why do you think everything that the government buys inflates? Because everyone already knows what the government is going to spend on that thing. When the government enters into a market like healthcare or education or defense- the amount that they're going to spend is published in a bill. And Congress says, here's your authorized budget. Here's how much you're going to spend. So there is no natural market force that says a bid and an ask. What are you willing to pay? And is there a walkaway price? There is no walkaway price when the government is, is told to go spend some amount of money. And as a result, the price of everything inflates to that walkaway, to that price, to that budget. Can I build on that? It's, and, that's, it's and by the way, that, that's, that's the, in my opinion, based on everything I've looked at, the primary reason for the increase in education costs, because the government funds all the student loans, the increase in healthcare, um, the increase in defense, all of it is because the government is the customer and they tell the person that's servicing them up front, they tell the market what they're willing to pay. And so the market just inflates to, to that amount. And it's, uh, it's, it's really the reason why the way that we budget things in the government, as opposed to saying, look, this is the ROI metric, or this is the IRR metric you need to be shooting for with this government spending. It's all based on a fixed dollar amount of a budget that says, here's how much you should go spend. Well, so- look, it, it's, it's, as I said, it's, it's actually worse than that, because then the procurement process is, is not, is the furthest thing from a free market where you essentially have these licensed people that are allowed to provide services. And so if you actually have the key critical input to making something possible, you have to get bundled in through contractors and subcontractors and general contractors who each take their five and 10%. And then that, that's what you that's when you have like, you know, and, and their hourly costs all balloon just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. And suddenly the balloon cost of everything matches exactly the budget. So the perfect example of this is the space program. There yes, was a there totally. was a there was a rant by Bernie Sanders yesterday, basically <laughs> yeah, totally. saying, how could we have allowed Jeff Bezos, Mr. Bezos and Mr. Musk to basically take <laughs> over our national space program, we the need to take space program. We need to take it back, and then oh somebody gosh. hold on, Can and then somebody the <laughs> and then somebody thoughtfully I'll just went. Out. Give me the transcript. Somebody thoughtfully went back and actually looked because, again, as David said, everything is transparently published. They went back and they actually counted how much money NASA spent in like the last seven or eight years, and the number was three hundred and sixty odd billion dollars. Yeah, and then they counted how much money uh, SpaceX had spent, and it was you know if you counted revenue between seven and eleven billion. 
totally. Totally. And so you have this oh incredible God. disparity, <laughs> totally. which speaks to this. This well, guy's after senile. The space shuttle, after the space shuttle was retired, NASA didn't even have a way to get to space until SpaceX yeah. had the rockets. I mean. Uh, and think about how many people died on the space guys, shuttle. Guys, what Bernie is saying, which is what's, I think, scary to me, is if you take the difference between $360 billion and seven, so $353 you know, billion, and divided by the number of people in the United States, you're basically talking about a thousand pers- thousand dollars a person. Would you and I sit around a table and give Bernie Sanders a thousand dollars out of our own pocket? Hell no. To go and basically implement a uh, a half ass space program? No, That's I'd rather. Unbelievable. I'd rather give Elon Musk ten cents, which right. or one cent, which is the the equivalent alternative, or a this, penny. This raises a really serious issue, which is who is the better capital allocator of private, you know, resource society, private <laughs> markets, or the government? And let me give you an example. So today. The House is voting out that reconciliation bill. They've got it. They're spending $2.1 trillion. This is one example. Just one example that caught my eye is they've got $2.5 billion going to tree equity, whatever that is. <laughs> I'm sorry, tree equality? What? Tree equity. Tree equity. This what is, is like, tree equity? I, I think it might mean that like some communities How, have more trees. trees than, I think it means that some, tr- some communities have more trees than others. And they've got to rectify that. I don't know. I mean, this is like the jump the shark moment for the word equity, because I think now everything is equity. But, but you know, what, what struck me about this $2.5 billion number, okay, is that like craft ventures, which I've been doing for the last four years, we've raised and will be deploying a total of about 2 billion over call it five years into hundreds of startups that, you know, will pave the way for the next generation of the economy. So 2 billion versus 2.5 billion as one line item. That's just a footnote. That's an asterisk in this bill. I mean, what is the better capital allocation decision? And what people have to understand is, you know, all this um, money that gets spent gets sucked out of the private economy somehow. It either, you know, comes from taxes or gets added to the the, uh, national debt. But either way, it comes out of the private economy and resources that could be allocated to the next generation of, of innovative companies. Right, and let's play to the be clip. squandering the money like that on all these programs that no one even knows what they do uh, when we're almost $30 trillion in debt is just unbelievable. Okay, the 1% are going to be going to space and taking away the moon from the other 99%. Here, roll the clip. Unbelievably, this bill would provide and authorize some $10 billion in taxpayer money to Jeff Bezos, the second wealthiest person in America, for his space race with Elon Musk, the wealthiest person in America. This is beyond laughable, and I will be introducing an amendment to strike this provision. Frankly, it is not acceptable. It's not an issue that we have discussed terribly much, but it is not acceptable that the two wealthiest people in this country, Mr. Musk and Mr. Bezos, take control of our space efforts to return to the moon and maybe even the extraordinary accomplishment of getting to the moon. This is not something for two billionaires to be directing. This is something for the American people to be determining. Yeah, all the people have to be able to go to the moon before two people can go to the moon. Is that the idea? Yeah, if there was a go to the moon Dow, it would get more funding. <laughs> Good callback. Than, Look at you with the callbacks, Freeberg. You're learning how to funding. entertain the Can audience. Can you imagine? People would just plow money into a go to the moon Dow and give it all to Elon oh, Musk. It'd be so. More mad. people would do that than would vote to support the Senate bill. 
Additionally, I would like to report that Starlink does not work at my lake house and Amazon Prime takes three to four days at my beach house on the Cape and that these two companies are oppressing the 3% of the top 3%, which I am not part of the 1%. And and some people don't have enough trees. And (laughs) And in my community, there's only small trees and we want the redwoods from San Francisco. Why do they or the hippies get the redwoods that are much taller? Do you guys remember uh, one of our very earliest pods? I made a statement, which is equity is this danger word that the progressive left uses to steal power. Yes. That yes. we should I feel unsafe. <laughs> we should always want equality, but not equity, because equity is zero sum, right? You know a cap table. Once you give somebody else equity, it's dilutive yep. to everybody else. But equality is infinite. You mm. can have unbounded equality. Yes. And when I hear these guys talk about this stuff, it's so scary. The second thing is, I'm a little confused by what Bernie's saying, because on the one hand, he wants to cancel the American government's effective, you know, support of these programs. On the other hand, he wants us to take back the responsibility for it. But I think he must realize that it would cost 50 times more. Or a hundred times more. He's, he's not, he's not, he's not spending sensitive in case you haven't noticed. I also think this is like virtue signaling, like, he was attacking Bezos about like minimum wage and then Bezos came over the top and like doubled it and then gave people college education. That was Bernie Sanders platform for president it was like give people free college and give people like a better $15 minimum wage. Bezos has done more for Bernie's platform than anybody. He should be thanking. He should be telling people all companies should be also, acting like Amazon. No, no, no. But also actually to your point, can I build on that? Yes. Amazon is now doing more to actually unwind duopolies and monopolies in markets than the government and the FTC is. You know, Absolutely. You see, this, see this thing that Amazon is now doing in the UK with Visa, where they've basically shut Visa off. And people are speculating now that it's a step in this direction of Amazon, you know, in Amazon domestically in the United States, they just did this big deal with a firm. And so they are looking at and they, there's a rumor that they may switch the Amazon credit card off of Visa rails and put them on MasterCard rails. But this is another example, Jason, to your point of like, you know, Bernie and the left progressive left would probably rail against the duopoly practices of of Visa and MasterCard. They can't get anything done. Jeff Bezos has actually done more now. Presses a button. Presses a button and has done more now. to Uh, Here's another one to build on yours. Who's doing I mean, Bernie Sanders cares about global warming. It's like one of his key issues. Who's donated more to to global warming than than Jeff Bezos? Nobody. Nobody. Who's doing 100,000 electric vehicles for his delivery fleet? Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos took Bernie Sanders' platform that he failed to get into office on, and he made it Amazon's platform. Here's a third example. Nick, you tweeted this out. Nick, or you can find this thing that I tweeted out, but it was a little meme, and it was a, it was um, it was basically um, Toby Maguire and Kristen Dunst. Right? There's a meme the famous of like upside down quit. Qu- to- kiss. To- to- no, they're looking at each other, and basically the joke is like, you know, every time you protested at you know uh, uh, to shut down a nuclear plant. Uh, the resulting effect 40 years later was another 100 megatons of CO2 was put into the air. And it just goes to yet again, another example of we virtue signal nuclear reactors and nuclear power, we go and we get them all shut down, it turned out that we ingested uh, or we uh, we uh, put out as a result an enormous amount of more CO2 than had to be put. And then and now who's helping to step in and solve it another private citizen Bill Gates. Look, if it weren't for these private companies, we couldn't even get astronauts to space anymore. Impossible. I mean, the, like the government has actually lost the capacity to do that. Impossible. It would yeah. it would have been impossible. And who are we up against for space? I mean, China, 
Russia. Not just China. Just China. Just China really. it's, I mean, such a dichotomy. it's such a dichotomy between, I mean, this is like a recurring theme of the show, between what the private sector and specifically, and, and, and not like the Fortune 500, not those old stodgy companies that are in the process of being disrupted, but what the sort of entrepreneurial economy is able to accomplish versus like how stultified and calcified and incompetent the government's become. I mean, to your point, Freeberg, I think Sam Altman uh, led this, the fusion energy startup Helion, like $500 million round. I mean, by the time these nitwits, you know, in these political office figure these things out, we're going to have fusion reactors, aren't we? Is that real science? Is that coming close? What do you think, Rupert? I mean, Bill Gates just did this, uh, what is it called? TerraPower uh, announcement this week. Um, he's got a company that he's been funding for years, and they're building a 500 megawatt um, uh, fusion plant in um, uh, Wyoming, I think. Yeah. In Wyoming, yes. In Wyoming. And he got $2 billion from the government and $2 billion uh, that was funded by the company and its shareholders, which I think is majority owned by Bill Gates. But it certainly uh, feels and seems to me, I mean, look, this one, like we've said, a lot of these infrastructure deals, these big infrastructure deals for things like power and next-gen manufacturing and whatnot, you know, could use the, be could benefit from the boost of, you know, government subsidies or, you know, government shared costs to get these things off the ground. Over time, as you get scale and reproducibility of them, the cost per unit comes way, 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 way down. Um, and so, you know, it seems to be the case that there are enough of these programs. I think I know of at least half a dozen nuclear power companies that are, you know, in advanced stages of doing, um, you know, first installation design right now. And so it seems like this is going to be a reality. I think it, it would be an incredible um, boom to uh, to clean energy in the United States and globally if we can get more of these built. I mean, what was the stat? China's building 150 nuclear power plants. Yeah, uh, they've commissioned 150 nuclear power plants. I mean, it's a no brainer that that's what we need um, in the 21st century. It's the best renewable source, uh, very small footprint, very reliable, can run 24 uh, seven, doesn't depend on some, you know, sun or wind or what have you. So you can plug it into a grid. And so the government literally does not need to get involved in this, aside from writing a check and chopping it up 50-50, split the pot with Bill well, Gates. I think there's an important role that the government can and should play here, which is, you know, if we want to talk about what infrastructure this country needs, I've said it on the last couple of shows, we don't need yesteryear's infrastructure. We don't need last century's infrastructure, new bridges and, you know, toll bridges or whatever nonsense is, uh, you know, going to get inflated as a result of this recent infrastructure. But what we need is next gen infrastructure and not charging stations because the free market's already there doing that. Um, and, you know, not internet because the free market's already there giving everyone internet. And we see a thousand examples of that. What we need is the stuff that the free market cannot afford to fund and stand up like next gen nuclear power stations, like biomanufacturing, like large scale on demand 3D printing systems. These are the sorts of infrastructure programs that the United States and our workforce could benefit from government subsidies to help the private force, the, the private markets get stood up. And as these things get stood up and the flywheel gets going and cash starts getting generated, they can self-fund and they can grow and they can install more of these and the costs come down for the next one. The things where the government is the only customer, the only person buying, the cost will only go up on over time. Whereas the things that the private market is building, the cost will go down over time. And in some of these cases where there's a big kind of hurdle to get over the first build or the first build cycle, you know, the, the government has an important role to play, I think. And so, you know, look, I mean, it, it's clearly not going to happen with this current infrastructure bill. There's a few nuggets in there that might be useful and helpful. Um, but generally speaking, you're right. I mean, over time, we want the cost of things to come down, not go up. 
And so we need the private market to play a critical role in being the majority driver, you know, of these kind of systems. All right. Seems like a good place to end. Pete Davidson is now dating Kim Kardashian. How jealous are you, Chamath? I'm not jealous. What are you talking about? um, It's a great one. I am am shocked that Pete Davidson has dated some of the most incredibly famous, popular women. Oh, so you are jealous. Okay. Well, I'm a little curious. I'm a little I gotta say, I'm a little curious. I mean, if you put a picture of Pete, Day, I mean, there's got to be something happening there. Let's just put it out there. He's got the Kavorka. I'm gonna I send mean, you a link to an article. I don't know what a Kavorka is. I'm googling. You remember that from Seinfeld, where um, Kramer was like, you know, dating all these beautiful women, and it's because he explained he had the Kavorka. He's got a better finishing move. Yeah. This is an article that went viral this week. Emily Ratajkowski. How do you pronounce her name? Yeah. Breaks yeah, down. Yeah. Breaks down why women find Pete Davidson so attractive. And so this was like, you know, I saw it all over Twitter this week, but it was all about, you know, the, and what the is the claim. answer? Just give me the headlines. I don't know. It's some uh, he's got uh super charming, he's vulnerable, he's lovely, his fingernail polish is awesome. He looks good. He has a good relationship with his mom. I mean, I just think he comes across as a good guy might be the appeal. Um, also, they want to take care of him, I think, because he's got like his I dad. I think you died. guys are missing a more subtle, not obvious point. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> do, do explain. Maybe you could expand. I'm just guessing. It's a family, it's a family show, Chamab. It's a family show. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, no, Anyways, I think they want to take care of him. That's what I heard from for a Pete Davidson. woman said. They want to like rock on him Pete and Davidson. take care of him. Rock but yeah, go, I mean, also Kim Kardashian, I, I think, you know, she just got the Gen Z. I think she was probably going the way of Paris Hilton, like maybe aging out of her, uh, you know, uh, celebrity. And now she went Kanye, kind of Gen X, right? And now she's going down to Gen Z. She's got a whole new. I, mean, I hate to be cynical about it, but I, I, I also, you know, I'm going like to take so much. I'm going to take so much flack for saying this, but um, I was a little short Donda, but I've listened to Donda now a couple times, and my God. Is it good? It's pretty fucking good. I mean, Kanye West is one of legitimately one of the most incredible artists of of all time. I mean, the way his I, mind I agree works, with that. the music, the beats—it's outrageous. I think if you give Donda like two or three shots, it's I was into really late registration, amazing. college dropout, and eight oh eight and heartbreaks. I, Amazing. My Dark Twisted Fantasy was probably one of the best albums ever created. Well, see, that's the thing is, I think Ridiculous. with his later work, like I didn't get into my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy until I had listened Amazing. to it 10 times. Amazing. Then I was like, okay, I get Amazing. it. Amazing, yeah. And the I, early I feel stuff like I'm so accessible, like dropout so accessible, and registration. Yeah. But Donda's uh, pretty perfect. incredible. I mean, it's- Right now, uh, David Sachs is like, what are you guys talking about? I uh, haven't listened to any of this. David, do you know- He's and, like, is that like Paul Anka? <laughs> David's like, yeah, Wow. Sax, do you listen to music? Actually, this yeah, is a Sachs, question. What's your favorite artist? What's your favorite yeah, band? Like, like if we found, like if we listened, like your like your workout tracks. So like on your <laughs> like on 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 Barry Manilow, uh, a- like I Apple. Like what are you listening to? Like Spotify. Like what are you listening? Tucker to? Carlson. No I music. Don't, I, don't, I don't listen to music when I work out. The only what? time so I really Tucker. listen when I listen. I, the only time I really listen to music is when I'm like in a car, or on a plane, or whatever. But do you have music, for example, like downloaded on your phone? Like if he said, yeah. pull out your phone, huh? Yeah, I do. I Can you should just give a, give a couple names here? Yeah. Top three, yeah. Honestly, it's going to be recent hits because I just download what my kids tell me to download. I understand. That's where I get it from. Just give me a couple albums that you've downloaded. Okay. So, hold on. Where's um, recently added? Okay. So, it looks to me like I recently added Khalid. Yes. Okay. Good. Well, good. Uh, 
there's a Gaga song, uh, Kid Leroy and Miley Cyrus. Okay. okay. Kid, Leroy, Kid Leroy and Justin Bieber. Great. Oh, Doja Cat. My kids love right. Doja she's Cat. She's great. She's great. TikTok queen. Yeah. See, my kids keep me current. You know, you think I'm like. She's great. Here's what I'm doing for my kids. This is my yeah. new parenting strategy. <laughs> I was let, they love listening to the 80s playlist on Spotify. But now I was like, what, are, who are like great seminal artists? So I have them doing Tom Petty, David Bowie, Talking Heads and Bob Marley. And I get the whole greatest hits album. And I explain to them every song and they're like, totally getting into it. Cause so like, basically, I actually know what being, great music is. You're being self indulgent, you're focused on yourself, and you're trying to make them a loser. No, I'm trying to get them to understand what actual really, music. Bro. You want your music. kids to walk into school, and when somebody else is like, "Hey, do you like Doja Cat?" They're like, "No," but have you listened David to Bowie. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers? <laughs> I've, been, I've been doing that. I've been playing my kids, my uh, favorite artists, and they and he's become their favorite artist. Aphex Twin. You guys don't know who he is. Yeah, Aphex Twin. So yeah, yeah. Aphex Twin about, has this, what about Orbit? Uh, great Orbital. album called the, the Richard Brothers? D. James album. Richard D. James album is is probably one of the best albums of all time. And I play it, and my kids go friggin' nuts for it now, and they ask for it nonstop. And I'm like, "Oh my god, I love you. You're my kids." It's the best. Mm. Look at I'm trying to get my kids into the, my favorite movies, and that's just too hard because movies Say were hi, everybody. They were so, too slow back hi, then. Sort of genius. Yeah. Getting the kids to watch movies is hard. They want to watch. That's hard. Like, yeah. yeah. No, move, they can't watch movies. They're too slow. No. They can't watch movies. They can only it's watch crazy. a Marvel movie. They can't even watch the original Star it's Wars crazy. or Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark. Totally. Anything where the scene doesn't cut every one and a half seconds, right. they can't watch. It's crazy. I was like, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you're going to love this. They're like, this is so boring. I'm like... <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple totally. of Doom are boring. Isn't that like, crazy? This is terrible. Well, but then because, I, wa- I remember the first watching act like is character development. They they want to cut the first act. <laughs> Have yeah. you guys Jaws, watched? You didn't uh, watch Jaws would be like unwatchable. But today. I remember as a kid watching it oh, and she loved it. Did you guys ever watch like AMC and you watch the old school movies of the 30s and 40s? They are impossible to watch. Like they are so. It's like watching a play. Mm-hmm. And exactly. that was it, you know it's like gotten more and more kind of um, short form as we've kind of aged. But you know. That's life. Oh no, what happened? Oh, quesadich. Aki. Aki. Stole a biscuit and Aki just came Ooh. and took it from Aki, <laughs> not good, Aki. You don't take it a biscuit. Aki, you eat a dog food. You don't eat it a biscuit. Bad Aki. You know, those biscuits are cashmere. They're really expensive. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get my booster <laughs> shot. I'll see you guys later. All right, everybody. This has been another exciting, amazing episode of the All In Podcast for Rain to get Sergio Cookies. For... The dictator. Hi, Nat. Shamath Pahapitiya and the Sultan of Science, David Freeberg. We'll see you all next time. Sexy Poo, have a wonderful time with Suarez. He came by uh, last yeah. night. I'm, I'm hosting uh, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez tonight. We're doing a cocktail reception fundraiser for him. Hung out with him last And night. we got huge turnout. I mean, I tweeted this thing and we're going to have, I think, at least 60 people at the reception, at least oh. 20 people for dinner. You're you're we're letting we're, randos in your house from Twitter? They're have security. <laughs> oh, they have to pay five dimes. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 they have to pay. But also, like, we, we kind of check everybody out. One, one of your enemies out. one of your enemies will pay five dimes just to get in your yeah, house. So. I think basically, like, BuzzFeed paid to get in there. I'd be careful. No, we, have to, we have to know who they are. We vet them. Background check. And there's a lot of people. I mean, look, if we wanted to let everybody in, there are at least 100 people who replied to my tweet saying, I can't DM you, but I want to go. and Open your DMs for a day. Oh, you can do that? Yeah. Francis came by yesterday with his team. He was in top form. He looks great. He's excited about the next term. All right. We'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. Let your winners ride. Rain Man David Sachs. We open source it to the fans, and they've just gone crazy with it. Love you, West. Queen of Kinwa.
<laughs> we need to get merch. Monkeys are I'm back. I'm going on.